All right, how are y'all doing today? All right, I'm glad to hear that. Let's go ahead and open up with a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you so much that we can come here today. We can talk about happiness, knowing that uh, you bring us happiness, and that we have every reason to be happy today, no matter what we're facing today, because of who you are and what you are doing in our lives, and, what, and ultimately just the, the promises you have made to us. And so, Lord, I, I pray today that as we go through your word, that not only will we learn about you, Lord, I pray we will be drawn to you, and we will leave here with a joy that maybe we can't even explain. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, um, I'm kind of excited about today, I'm not going to lie. This is, uh, we've been talking about happiness for three weeks now. This is the fourth week we're going to talk about it again, and we're getting into the, the last chapter of the book of Philippians. And so uh, if you've been here for the whole book, you're probably an expert on the, the book of Philippians with Paul's letter to the Philippians, but you're also probably really happy, right? Because you've heard three weeks of church of being happy, right? Oh my gosh. You see, that's why I'm excited today because today is going to be a little different, okay? I'm kind of, I will just let you know, I'm kind of ready for today. Uh, we're going to do something today. If you've been here, you, you know I do this once or twice a year. Um, I believe part of the reason that uh, sometimes you can go to church and not catch what we're talking about is because uh, you do not get active enough in the message. And so today you have what we're going to have one of our Amen Sundays. This is my favorite, okay? So here's how Amen Sundays go. If you've been here, we do this once or twice a year. Uh, during the sermon at some point, you have to be an old school Baptist, Pentecostal, whatever. You have to, at some point, every one of you in here has to say, Amen, okay? And you can't do it right now. You have, there's a buffer here. You can't get it out of the way. You got to wait until you, you find something that in some way you're like, you know what? That, that speaks to me. That's, that's true in my life, or that would be true in my life. And you have to be bold. And it's awkward until the first people do it. And then you're like, okay, I'm going to get mine out of the way. And you're going to be thinking about it the whole time. You're going to be like, oh, I'm going to get mine. And some of you, if this is like your Sunday where you get unleashed. And you're like, finally, I can be me. I can do what I've been wanting to do. And so some of you, I might have to tone down and be like, hey, only one amen, okay? Only one, <laughs> only one. Um, so that's what we're going we're to have to do is we talk about this idea of happiness, it's, it's interesting to me that happiness is something that we all chase, and yet very few of us actually catch. In fact, there's a principle about this. It's kind of like insomnia. How many of you have ever had a night of insomnia? And you know there's that feeling. There's the worst. Man, we got to <laughs> preach on sleep next week. So there's that feeling that you get when you uh, have insomnia, and you're just like, Man, I got to go to sleep. And you start thinking about what? The fact that you're not sleeping. And the worst thing that happens is all of a sudden, I got to get sleep. I gotta, and the more you think about it, the less sleep you get it. And happiness is a lot like that. The more you chase it, the more you chase it, the harder it is to catch. It reminds me of my dog growing up. How many of y'all have a dog that's a runner? That dog, uh, have you ever been in the house with a dog that's a runner? My dog now, I open the door, that dog will walk out next to me, well, doesn't want to... She knows she's got the best life with me, okay? Now, growing up, I had a dog, and if there was an ounce, or an inch, I should say, if there was an inch, that dog was gone. And you can't catch a sprinting dog, no matter how out of shape your dog is. You are more <laughs> out of shape. Exactly. You are more out of shape than your dog. And so my dad once pulled me aside, and, and our dog would go, and he finally kind of told us the trick. The trick to catch your dog when you run off is you, you don't try to catch your dog. You just start running. 
and you just run and you keep an eye on it. You know where it's at. You're aware of it. But as soon as you sprint after your dog, your dog is going to run away. And so we would just, my dog would take off and me and my brother would be like, all right, let's go. And we'd just start running and we'd keep the dog in sight. And eventually the dog will get tired or get distracted or go into a place where he's cornered. And when we go in and he was cornered, we would just be like, all right, we're here. We wouldn't, you know, attack him and just, we would just walk up to him, maybe call him, get to where he, and eventually he'd turn around and be like, all right, I'm done running. Let's, let's go home. And, and he would go home. And, and a lot of times happiness is like that. The more you want it, the harder it is to catch. And this is why when you ask your, your kids, or, or what, if I were to ask you, what do you want for your kids? Or what do you want for your, your family? What you would say is, I just want them to be happy. And this is kind of a dangerous thing because if all we're focused on is being happy and that's what all we want out of life, which is what some of us kind of have this mindset, we've never really thought this through, if all we want is to be happy, we're pretty much setting our, our, ourselves up to, to never be happy because if all you focus on is being happy, you're never going to really catch that happiness. And so today I want to talk about how we can stop chasing happiness and actually experience it. And I really hope that uh, this will be practical for us. And now, I wanted to, uh, again, to liven this up. And so to, I'm going to have a little quiz, and I'm going to give away my favorite thing in the whole world. I discovered this about a year or two ago. Um, and it's Super Bowl Sunday. And this is called, uh, in our family, just in my family, this is not what it's really called. This is called, and, and this, they'll vouch for this, this is called crack, okay? We call this crack dip, okay? Because uh, if you have this... And what you do is you take this uh, and you put some whip, uh, whipped cream cheese. This makes the best dip in the whole world. Okay, and I'm going to give some away. So here's a, a quiz, and whoever answers this gets this, okay? In fact, here's what I'm going to say. Whoever tries to answer this, I'll probably give it to you, okay? Now, we've been talking through a book called Philippians, which is a letter Paul wrote to the Philippians. And he's writing this book to, who can guess, and this isn't for the, who knows where he's writing the letter to? Philippi. Now, he's writing from prison, and he is most likely in prison in what city? All right, I heard it. Who said it? All right, Heidi. Heidi, you get some, you got some crack dip today. Very good. That's the, I'm telling you, that'll make a Super Bowl party uh, liven up. Now, there's some tension of this man who's preaching on joy. He's writing a letter that is about joy. It is a joyful letter, and he's on death row. He is not walking away. And this tension that is being managed is very important for us. Um, and, and, and there are several tensions that we find ourselves as we enter chapter 4 uh, in this letter. The first tension that you need to understand is this tension of the gospel versus real life. Now, this is a tension that for every Christ follower, everyone who's ever been to church before and walked away saying, you know what, that sounds good, but now I'm going back into my life, okay? And so Paul, as he, entered, as he finished the last chapter, one of the things he said is, there are a lot of people that have come along in our church, and now I weep for them. This is in chapter, the end of chapter 3. He says, I weep for them. And he said, their God is their bellies, um, and, and it's to their shame. And what he's, he's not talking bad about them. He's basically saying, though, they follow their own desires, and, and they're just chasing happiness. Whenever they see something they think that would make them happy, they just go after it, and they don't consider it at all. 
And he says this is hard for him because as a Christ follower, as someone who has made the decision, I'm not going to chase happiness. I'm not going to look at every circumstance and say, hey, would this make me happier than this? He says, I'm going to look for something different. I'm going to look for the gospel. And the gospel is an inside-out happiness. That is the reason that he is able to preach and teach and talk about happiness and joy when he's on death row. It's because he's not chasing it out there. In his mind, he knows if I'm really going to find peace, if I'm really going to find happiness, it's going to start inside. And so as Christ followers, we need to understand this context of, of joy starts inside of us. It starts with God taking our life. And that's what the first three chapters, we've talked about this, the gospel of, of God changing our heart to where we desire different things, to where we look and pursue him and we begin to see Man, God is good even in hard times. And we begin to see, he's changing my heart. I, I don't want the things that I used to think would make me happy. I want something more. I want something, I want holiness. I want just a relationship with God more than I want with this world. And, it, and we don't start there. And in fact, if you're not there, it's hard to even understand this as a tension. But there's this different perspective of joy that is, is, is a tension in this whole letter. And that is... Are you seeking joy out there, or are you really pursuing and digging in with your relationship with God so that this joy is beginning to grow inside your heart, in, inside, and will eventually overflow outside? Another tension that we see is that he's talking to the, to the he writes a letter to the church as if this church is perfect, but we're going to see in this chapter, this church isn't perfect. In fact, a church is never supposed to be perfect, and Paul knows this, and there's this tension of him giving the ideal of this is what a Christian's supposed to look like, this is what a church is supposed to look like, but he knows this is not how it really is. He knows that, that real life happens, and that is totally okay when real life happens, okay? And so he's going to navigate for the rest of this, this tension between what is it like to, to talk about a perfect church and to be an imperfect church. And so in chapter 4, that's kind of where we're starting is these tensions are there because we know it's a lot easier to say I'm happy, I'm at church, I'm happy, but then you get into the, wor the real world and you're like, man, I'm not as, as happy as I pretended to be on Sunday or as I, maybe as I felt on Sunday. So we're going to start in verse 1 and this is what he says. He says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love, whom I long for, my joy and my crown. He thinks about his his people back home in this church, and he's like, man, I, I just wear you like a crown. I'm so proud of what God is doing. Stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. Okay, now he's, he spent the first part of this uh, letter just talking about uh, how to be strong in your faith. He's talked about the gospel, about what it's like to uh, follow Christ, and now he's going to get into some details of why he wrote the letter. Now, anytime Paul writes a letter, it's usually because somebody asked him a question and he's responding to a specific instance and then he'll use it, hey, while I'm writing this letter, I might as well teach you some theology. I might as well teach you about God a little bit. So he's going to give us two different uh, real-life situations that he just wants to, hey, let's kind of apply this to what we've learned. I've, I've been talking about joy, he's saying, so let's apply this. And I want to give you two kind of phrases you might walk away with sometimes when you hear a preacher talking about happiness. The first one is this, I'm not happy, I'm angry. That's the first thing he's going to run into. I'm not happy, I'm angry. 
The second one, by the way, is I'm not happy, I'm anxious. We're going to talk about that in just a second. But right now, he's, you might re- kind of reject this idea of I can be happy at any time. I can be happy if I'm a Christian because God is doing great stuff. That sounds good, but I'm not happy because really I'm angry about something. Paul says, I entreat Judea and Syntec. There's a 0% chance I got those both right. To agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me to, uh, in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the bu- uh, book of life. He, he kind of has this sidetrack to where he says, by the way, I know that there are two women in the church that are fighting. Can you believe that? Two women in the church fighting. It's, it's, it's totally like any other church that has ever existed, okay? He's got this unique perspective. Now, Judea and Syntec are the names of these two women, and apparently what is going on is they have an argument, they're disagreeing, and, and there's a couple of things we need to, to see and understand about these women. Those, first of all, they love the church, and they love Paul, and they love Jesus. These are women in the church, valuable in the church, who are serving and loving each other, and if you were to ask them, do they love Jesus, they'd say, I love Jesus. If you'd say, hey, do you love Paul? Hey, I love Paul. I've served with Paul. Hey, Right now, are you happy? How can I be happy? Udia's over there. You ask Syntex, she's like, I can't be happy. How can I be? You know what she did to me? And there's this strife. And it probably, it's less like that. You know how it probably works is Syntex was walking in the church hall and Udia didn't say hello or something like that. And so from that, it just kind of bubbled up. Who knows? But there's a, a rift that's so, think about this, it's, it's gotten so big in this church that Paul on death row, hundreds of miles away, hears, oh my gosh, Judea and Syntec aren't getting along. And so, you want to talk about how to really change somebody's behavior, Paul makes it a sermon illustration. Can you imagine if, if that was our philosophy of, hey, y'all, I've heard two of y'all are fighting. Y'all stand up, come up front. We're going to talk to... That's what he's going to do. He's going to make them a sermon illustration. And he's going to leave no room for them to, to get off the hook the way that we normally try to get off the hook. Well, do you know what she did? Would well, you know it's, it's not my fault. It's her. Hey, I love Jesus. I love it. I'm, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. But she, he leaves no room for this. And in fact, I'll tell you, one of them was probably right and one was probably wrong. But we're never going to know because Paul doesn't even care enough to choose sides. He simply gives some advice to when we're angry in a church. And this is what he says. He says, I want you to have these women agree in the Lord. Agree in the Lord. And then he says, and I ask you, true companion, and with this true companion, we don't know what he exactly means by the word true companion. It could be that he had someone specific, true companion. Uh, He had a, a friend there and he was writing to them. Or it could be that true companion simply means anyone in the church who wants to be a true companion. You can do this. It could, it could be applying. Or it could be that he actually uh, has a friend. That, that word in Greek actually just means partner. It could be that that's the person's name and that it should be translated uh, partner because that's what the name is. We don't know, but it's interesting. His, he sees this disagreement. He sees this anger in the church. And he gives some advice of how we deal with anger in a church. The first thing is, he tells the two people, agree in the Lord. And that is, whatever it is that has caused the split, the difference between you, 
you need to realize that we all have something more in common than our differences. Every single one of us who is a member of the church, who is a Christ follower, we have something we can agree in the Lord. That is, we have something in common. We have more in common as Christians with our brothers and sisters than we do, than we have differences. And he says, you need to agree in the Lord. What do we agree in the Lord? We are all broken. We are all sinners here. Not one of us, no amens there. Y'all are, I'm just, I'm, remind y'all, y'all got homework to do here. There's nobody perfect in here. And so he says, listen, you've got to go back to the start of, hey, why are we here? We're not here because we figured this out. We're here because we are all broken and we need a Savior. We agree in the Lord. I'll give y'all several of y'all a way to get out. If you're nervous about it, you're off the hook. And then he says something that's kind of the hard part of of a true church membership. He then turns to the church and he says, help these women. And he says, remember with Clement, who's uh, just a friend of his, remember my fellow workers, remember these women are serving the Lord. They're doing great things. He commends them. They're, they're good servants for the Lord. Help them. Remind them why we're here. We're here because we're broken. But yet there's this tendency, we don't agree in the Lord, because there's this tendency to give ourselves a lot of grace, but to give people a lot of judgment. And so this is where the disagreement is, is that, oh, I need grace of Jesus. I need the grace of Jesus. But somebody hurts your feelings or somebody says something they shouldn't have and we don't look at them and say, you know what, they're broken too. They're a sinner too. They need the grace of Jesus. So he says, have them agree first of all. But you as the church, you cannot say, I don't want to meddle in their business. I don't want to get between uh, those two ladies. That is not the way a true church behaves. Paul isn't worried about if if he's going to come across as meddling. He says, listen, we're going to... We're going to interact. We are going to work this out. We are going to agree in the Lord. We are going to work through our anger because in a, in a true church, we have happiness even when somebody does us wrong because we, we leave with forgiveness. And he goes back and he reminds them again what we agree on. He says, remember these women's names are in the book of life. And he reminds us of what we're doing, that there's an eternal perspective here of, listen, we're going to know, Syntec, you're going to know Udia for a long time. You need to learn now how to agree, how to get along. Because her name and her name, you're both in the book of life. You're both going to know God forever. You're going to live in heaven forever because you're both Christ followers. And so I just think it's, it's, it's a great perspective for us to realize, listen, whatever we're angry about, whatever we're going through, we need to make sure We need to make sure we have this eternal perspective. There is a book of life, and when we are Christ's followers, our names are written in it. And so, therefore, anything that's causing us anger between one another, we've got to work through it. We've got to understand. I've got to find joy in the Lord and agree on what God has done in my life now. Now, so that's the first thing. He reminds us our name is in the book of life. But then there's there's some of us that it's not anger. It's anxiety. And so Paul's going to kind of zoom out. He's got this one specific thing. There's some anger here, and that's been a divisive issue. But then he's going to step back, and he's going to say, and then I just hear that there's some of y'all that are just so focused in your life. You've got circumstances that you think you're the exception. And so the first or or the second uh, kind of excuse we give when we talk about being happy in church, hearing a pastor say, hey, as a Christ follower, you should be happy, is some of us would say, you know what, I'm not happy, I'm anxious. 
And so he's going to talk about that because here's what happens. Every single one of us, if I were to say, hey, are you happy today? And if there's something going on in your life, what you'll say to me is, how could I be happy? I'm going through this. And you, every, this, this is one of the joys of being a pastor, is I can play this game called, who's the exception today? Because every single, every single thing, point that I've ever preached on, there's always somebody who says, oh, that's not me. I'm, I'm in a different situation. If he knew my situation. And that's what I love about this point, is we get to remember, first of all, who's saying it. Paul is on death row. He's on death row, so whatever you're facing right now, and some of us have had a hard week. If you think you've had a hard week, raise your hand. Okay, you've had some hard weeks. I don't disagree. You've all had a hard week, but I want to at least make the point your week has been equal to, not worse than the Apostle Paul's, okay? He's on death row, okay? He's not walking out of this, okay? And yet he's giving us this advice. He says, hey, don't, we, don't worry. And you say, but, 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 but listen, how can, how can I not worry well, I just want to point out as everything he's about to say is coming from a man on death row. This is what he says. Rejoice in the Lord always. Always, even if I had a rough week, Paul would say, even if you're sitting on death row, rejoice in the Lord. And again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness, some translations will say gentleness or graciousness, be known to everyone. In other words, don't walk around like, oh, woe is me, this and that. You should be gentle and gracious when you're talking, even if you've gone through a hard week. The Lord is at hand. In other words, the Lord is here. God is here. He is with us, Paul is saying. So he says, do not be anxious. Do not worry. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, that word supplication just means when you pray for something, it means need. When you ask God to fulfill a need. Don't worry about anything, even if you're on death row. Even if today or this week you got some hard news or even if you, your job this week was way overwhelming and your boss was not understanding, it doesn't matter, he says. We're going to be gentle and gracious and we're going to pray. We're going to go to God and with prayer and supplication, we're going to tell our needs. We're going to tell God what we need. And then he says this, he says, with thanksgiving, we're going to let our requests be known to God. Now, why with thanksgiving? Why thanksgiving? Because when you're thankful for something, it's, it, you're praying as if God wants to do this. Because some of us, we, we pray as if God is not going to answer our prayers. But he's saying, no, no, you're going to pray thankfully because God is going to move in your life. God wants to do this. He wants to see it move. And the peace of God, if you do this, if you pray with a thanksgiving, if you pray with a knowledge of God loves me, God wants to see me through this, you will have the peace of God that surpasses understanding. People will look at you and say, man, how are you happy today? Man, with what you're going through, it's got to be hard. How can you have an ounce of joy? How? And it's going to surpass understanding. It says, and it's going to guard your heart. You're not going to go negative. You're not going to default to, to that lack of joy. You're not going to default to that place that you used to because of Jesus Christ inside of you. I just want to let you know, it's not always easy to pray with thanksgiving. But it's something that I promise you, if you want to find joy, if you want to see that inside out, you've got to learn to start going to God with your hard things with thanksgiving. I was talking about this with Erica, my wife, uh, the other day in that, 
You know, our, our life week to week, there are hard things. I know you look at me and you're like, he's got it so together. I mean, it's just amazing. But you know, uh, there was a time, my, my, my son Oliver, he's uh, turning 14 today. It's his birthday today. And uh, there was a day that uh, he had surgery on his ear. And before he went into surgery, they told us, they said, listen, if this surgery does not work, he's probably not getting, he's never going to hear out of that ear. And his other ear is not 100%. He's, we don't know how to go. And he also had, uh, there was a time in which one of his eyes had stopped working. And so if you remember when he was little, Oliver would come to church and he had an eye patch on and he wore an eye patch because the, basically his brain had stopped using one side of, of uh, his, uh, one of his eyes. And so they covered up his good eye and he had to force his bad eye. And the doctors even told us, you know, this is, I hope it works. We hope it works, but there's a chance your, your son doesn't see out of that eye and that his other one, uh, it will be, you know, that he'll just have to go with that. And so like we had this time where we're like, man, I don't know. My son might not be able to see. He might not be able to hear the, the way that we would want. But you know what we did? We prayed with thanksgiving. We prayed knowing that, you know what? God loves us. God loves us. And whatever happens, God is going to see us through it. Now, God, now thank goodness, both of those things are healed now. And the surgery went well in his eye. But you know what? Yeah. I also, this week, though, I have a, a diabetic son. And I will tell you. Uh, um, this week, twice, I've had an alarm go off where I had to jump up, and I ran into my son's room. His blood sugar was 43 with an arrow going straight down, which means he has insulin on board his body, and it's going to keep going and going, and that is dangerous. And I go in there, and I have to wake up at 2 o'clock, and my son's going to gonna have to go to school today, and I have to wake him up, and that whole run in there, I just think to myself, I hope he's the way. I hope he wakes up. I hope he's there. I hope this isn't the time. I hope this is not the time. But you know what I do? Every single time after I get that juice into him, and he yells at me for waking him up and whatever, every single time, I go back to bed, and the first thing I do is I pray, God, thank you. Thank you for every day I've had with my kids. Thank you for every moment. And thank you that I was able to hear that alarm, that I was able to get in there. And I pray every day that diabetes, type 1 diabetes, will find a cure. And every day I pray knowing that someday it will happen. It will happen. And I don't know if my boy will be the one who benefits from it. It will happen someday. But I'm going to praise if, you know what, God loves my son. And I think he loves him more than I love him, if that's even possible. And so I'm going to pray, God, I know you're going to move in this. So I just want to say whatever you're going through, remember, God loves you more than you love you. God created you. He loves you. And when you pray, pray as if it is a Father in heaven who loves you and he wants to help you. And it may not be the way you think it should be. I don't know why my one son got healed and the other son still struggles. I don't know why. But I know that God loves them equally, and he shows it daily. And one of the things you just learn is there's no normal. There's no, my, Clayton's normal is way different than Oliver's normal. My normal is way different than your normal, but I'm telling you, God is good in all of us. He is good to all of us. The last thing is I want to just apply this to it, okay? So we've worked through these two kind of practical things. Now, are, are these two kind of specific things of, Sometimes we're angry. Sometimes we say, I'm too anxious about my circumstance. But now Paul 
is going to give us something we can use, okay? Something we can take home. He says this, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything excellent, if there is anything worthy of praise, think on these things. Whatever you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, whatever, if you've seen anything of me sitting on death row that has made you think, man, I wish I had a little of what he had. He says, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. That's my best advice for you today. I named this point after Alan Iverson. We talking about practice because that's my favorite quote in the whole world, okay? Only about probably 5% of you understand but we're talking about practice. Practice, okay? We're not talking about the game, and this is what I want you to see when he says practice these things. We are going to not chase, we are not going to chase happiness. We are going to practice happiness. We are not going to chase peace. We are going to start practicing peace. There's a, a quote from a, a pastor lived uh, about 100, over 100 years ago. His name was George Mueller. And he did a lot of, incre- a lot of incredible things. He, he uh, started, he cared for more, more than 10,000 orphans in his lifetime. He also was on his deathbed early on and, and, and saw himself healed from a, uh, uh, an illness that he thought was going to take his life. And this is what he said. This is a quote of a man who spent every single day serving people. And he says, the first and great business of mine is every day to have my soul happy in the Lord. He said, you know, he's a pastor, he's preaching the gospel, he is serving these orphans, he is doing all of these things, and he says, my main job is for my soul to be happy in the Lord. And he has this this imagery here that he doesn't just wake up like you think maybe most pastors do. We get out of bed, we click our heels, and we're like, let's go preach the gospel today. Yay! He says, you know what, I have to get there. Before I go out into my day, I have to get there. And it is my number one thing to do is to practice happiness. To just start practicing happiness and stop chasing it. Did you know you have permission to practice happiness today? You may say, how can I be happy in this? Okay, you don't have to actually be happy today. Let's practice being happy today because there's some really powerful moments in practice. I want to give you an illustration. I'm going to invite uh, Britt. I've asked Britt and Phil to come give you, you an illustration. I have a little fun today. Now, when we talk about practice, there is a, a mindset that, that is freeing about practicing something. Now, I don't know if you know much about me, but I am not a musician. Okay? I am not. You don't want to hear me sing. Yes. That's, if you didn't name in there, yeah, you don't know me well. Okay? But something interesting uh, happened as a, a few years ago. I, uh, I was outside on my porch, and I heard a, a, a classic rock song come on, and I just had this thought, I wonder how hard that is to play on a guitar. And I borrowed a, a guitar from Phil 10 years ago, and I still got it. So I went and found this guitar that I, I borrowed from him. And I, I pulled it out, and I couldn't play it. And I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to practice this every day. 
I'm just going to practice it one or two, and I'm going to see how long it'll take me to be able to practice and play this song. And the drums, I don't even know which drum is which. I know which one is a snare. But my, my son, my youngest son, got a drum kit for Christmas. And so I said, you know what I'm going to do is every day I'm going to just practice the drums, okay? And in my mind, I even said this, I'm never going to actually play the drums in front of someone, okay? But today I want to show you something. The reason that I can do this is because I'm not going to play for you. I'm going to practice for you, okay? And the good thing about practicing, if I was playing for you, that means I need to be good. But when I'm practicing, I just want to show you that I'm better than I was, you know, yesterday, than I was the other day. And so uh, when it comes to, and by the way, you always ask the musicians to uh, use their instruments. You never just, that's why I had them come up here, because it's etiquette. And so Britt has given me permission. And I just want to show you, I have no idea what tempo means. I cannot play the drums, but, but I practiced a little bit. I literally have no idea any of those. Well, I know what a cymbal is. I know, there's a sna- I know where the snare is. I know where the kick is. And the other two, I don't even know what they are. They're just drums. Now, now I'm going to play. I'm going to practice. I'm not playing, okay? Now, uh, and there's a delay, by the way. I'm not hearing what you're hearing, okay? I'm not going to tell you the song because we're in church, but this was a song I was outside, and I said, how long would it take me to practice this song? And to be able to discern it, okay? Thank y'all very much. Now, I say all that to know, I don't even know what chords I just played. I honestly do not. But I made a decision. In fact, Chance, uh, is Chance here? Where's Chance? Okay, Chance is right here. Chance is a a great musician. He's, uh, he can play the guitar, sing, all that stuff. And I went up to him and I asked him, and I simply said, if I practice Crazy Train for two minutes a day for two years, do you think I could play it? And he said... If you practice every day, you'll play it before then. He said, you'll play it way before then. And for somebody who doesn't even play the guitar, play some 90s grunge, and that's about it. He says, if you practice every day. And so, every single day, you know what I do? I I put my guitar out to where I can see it. And this drum kit, if I go into my son's room, I get on the drum kit. I don't even turn it on. It's electric. And I'll just, I'll practice that one time. And it's amazing. I never get up there and say, you know what, I got to get this right. If I don't nail Crazy Train in my room by myself tonight, it's a day. Who's going to, you know, it's going to be a disaster. I simply say, you know what, I'm going to practice. I'm going to go practice. And I've gotten better and better. The first time I played any instrument, I was awful. You couldn't even tell what I was doing. And I just said, you know what, I'm going to practice this every single day. Paul says, practice. You don't have to be perfect at it. 
You don't have to be better than the person next to you. Just practice. Get better than you were. And if you are struggling right now with joy and happiness, it is a muscle like everything else. You can practice being joyful. You can practice it. In fact, he says practice these things. Let's just look real quick. He says you can practice agreeing in the Lord. Verse 2, he says agree in the Lord, remember? You could practice God's presence. He says the Lord is at hand. You could, be, you could practice saying, you know what, God is with me in this moment. You could practice that. You can practice praying and supplication. You can practice praying with thanksgiving. You could practice having peace in your circumstances by saying, you know what, I'm not going to ever find myself totally overwhelmed because God is with me. And then in verse 8, what does he say? He says, you can practice your thinking. You can practice your thinking every single day. There's a book that I, I, I read um, last year. It's, a, it just, uh, it's considered a classic. One of the things I try to do is go back and read books I should have read in high school and uh, <laughs> that I said I read in high school and didn't read. You, you know what I meant? And there's a book called Siddhartha, okay? And it's not a Christian book. It's not, uh, but Siddhartha, this character, he'll go, he goes through life and he finds himself on ups and downs and he always gets through whatever he's facing. And he's broke, he's a peasant, he's poor. And anytime somebody says to him, you know, how did you get through this? What did you do? And he always says this. He goes, I can do three things. He says, I can pray, I can think, no, I can wait, and I can fast. He says, I can, I can pray, I can, I can wait, and I can fast. And, and you think about those. They cost nothing, but hardly any of us are good at those things. And so there would be times when he couldn't eat, and you know what he would do? He'd say, good, now I can practice my fasting. There are times when he wanted something and he didn't get it. And in the book, he would just say, you know what? Good. I can practice waiting. There are times when, when he would have time and he, he would uh, see something he didn't think he could do. He said, good. Now I can practice my prayers. And he would practice and practice. And he would always see him get through because of these things. You can practice your thinking. Because the truth is, is that happiness can be wherever you focus. If you focus, even in your situation, if you think on these things, what is true, what is honorable, what is true? You know, your circumstance right now, it may not be good. But you know who is good? What is true? God is still good. You can think on that. I can think oh, at 2 o'clock at night of, man, this, this really sucks that my son's going through this, that I had to wake him up and that I, I was so nervous. Or I can say, you know what is good? is God has been with me since day one. He has walked with our family through this. And I can think on what is true, what is honorable, what is lovely, what is commendable, if there is any excellence. We're talking about practice. My hope for you today is that you can learn to start practicing. Just start doing it. You know, I'm going to be joy, joyful in every situation. In fact, I'm going to invite the band up right now, and I'm going to end this. And I'm going to end my sermon with a... Uh, with a Kobe Bryant uh, quote, because with this week, had a hard week for Kobe and his family, or for uh, Kobe's family, I know, but he had a quote at his retirement that really is my favorite Kobe quote. I'll probably never have an opportunity, but it fit in perfectly with this. He said at his retirement ceremony, Kobe Bryant said, there are those times when you get up early and you work hard. There are times when you stay late and you work hard. There are times when you don't feel like working. There are times when you're too tired, you don't want to push yourself, but you do it anyway. That is actually 
the dream. And when he said that in his retirement, I thought, man, that's the difference between someone who's succeeding and not succeeding is the fact that he recognizes it's not the game. It's not the, man, I got, I got to this moment. In fact, he has another part about championships. He says, I got my first championship. And I looked around and he said, is this it? But there's something to realizing that the dream is every moment. It's not one game. Nobody looks at another person and says, man, they beat me in life. They beat me in life. You know why? Because we're not playing one another. We're all practicing. If you're driving to work tomorrow, you know what? That's the moment. That's the dream. You're getting your kids out of bed, and you're like, I just want to be in bed. That's the dream. You're, you're, you're driving to a job that you're having that job. That's the dream. That's the provision. All of these things we overlook. We're sitting at the dinner table, and it's just been a, a mundane day. Maybe it didn't go well, but that's the dream. You're sitting at that dinner table. Your, your food was provided. That's the dream. Every single moment we have, Practicing in that moment joy and happiness. I'm going to close by. In fact, let's go ahead and stand up. I'll close with this. We're going to, and I don't know if you have these words. I want you to go back and put, uh, put verse 8. No, no, put verse uh, 6 back up there. Okay? And I'm going to just personalize this and and as I say this, I'm going to say, I want you to repeat it, okay? But we're going to personalize this because my hope of practicing it this week is that you'll be able to repeat this and maybe go back and read scripture and say, you know, I'm going to memorize maybe a portion of this. But don't memorize it just the way it says it in your Bible. Memorize it as if it's you stating this. This is you practicing. Here's what we're going to say first. I will not be anxious about it, anything. Let's say that. I will not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, I will let my request be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses my understanding, will 